Hello and welcome to section one, episode 22 of the LDFC Fan Zone podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. And each episode, we'll be talking to our next Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. All of our episodes can be found on our LUFC Fans on YouTube channel, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And last episode, we were former Leeds United striker Luciano Becchio, with Fidi Bersoni also coming along to help Luciano out with his English. What stood out for you in that episode, Jack? Because he had some really interesting tales to tell about his time at Leeds, especially how he joined the club in the first place, because I completely forgot that he was originally on trial. No, yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he had a lot of interesting stuff to say, really. Obviously, signed from third division side Madeira with McAllister just two weeks after and signed a three and a half year deal. But what stuck out for me was that he had the opportunity to re-sign for Leeds in 2015, was it? Yeah, yeah, that's what he said, wasn't it, with Massimo? Yeah, and obviously Massimo didn't pick up the phone. So, no, yeah, that was a real, not an eye-opener because you kind of predict Massimo would do something like that, but yeah. it was a little bit of a, a shock let's say. Yeah, yeah, and I knew Luciano scored a lot of goals for Leeds, but until I actually started preparing for the episode, I didn't actually know how many that he'd scored because it turns out that he's the 10th highest league goal scorer in Leeds United history. Yeah, well, according to Wikipedia, it's 75 goals and 190 appearances in League One and Championship, which isn't a bad return at all. And also, he never scored less than 11 goals in five years, which also is very impressive. And for me, my favourite goal is probably the playoff semi-final against Millwall at Ellen Road, with that famous belly slide towards the, what would you call it? The What would have been the away fans now? Yeah, yeah. I think he said that was his favourite goal as well, didn't he? I th- yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, but on to today's episode, and today with the former manager and someone who replaced Juve Rosler as the club's head coach in October 2015. After arriving at Leeds with the side just one point above the relegation zone, he guided Leeds to a 13th place finish, winning 14 out of his 38 championship matches at Leeds. His initial contract was only until the end of the 2015-16 season, and following the final match of the championship campaign away to Preston, he was still unsure if he would be the head coach of Leeds for the following year with Massimo Cellino leaving him in the dark about a possible extension. However, three weeks after that match at Deepdale, it was finally confirmed that he would be leaving the club and replaced by Gary Monk. However, three weeks after that match at Deepdale, it was finally confirmed that he would be leaving the club and replaced by Gary Monk, something which Cellino stated was needed to achieve the targets for the 2016-17 season. That's right, this week we're delighted to be joined by former Leeds United head coach, Steve Evans. Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. No, it's an absolute it's a pleasure. And, and associated with such a great club, it's a, it's a privilege. Just before we do start talking about your time at Leeds, which was five years ago now, which seems mad, you're, you're now the manager of Gillingham and currently sit mid-table in League One. And you've been there since the start of last season. So how will you find your time there? Yeah, it's a totally, it's a totally different uh, project to, of course, what was at Ellen Road. But, you know, it's a, it's a club that, the previous four or five years to be going in, uh, Sam, they've, they've been fighting relegation, really, we, a week or two to go. And there's no hidden secret, they have the smallest resources in the league. And when I met the chairman, he was very upfront about that. But he, he said the job would be convenient, build something over three or four years. And you know, and I know as a manager, certainly Ellen Road, but as a manager, you don't get time. So that appealed. Whether that comes to fruition, we'll see. But I think we're we're well on schedule to to be building something with young players and building something that um, 
we'll see the team be capable of challenging to go into the championship. And it's a it's a club that could sustain that. The only professional club in Kent, uh, so to speak, with the nearest neighbours, uh, West Ham and Palace. So a long way away. So it's it's a good opportunity. Yeah, it sounds good, and uh, we wish you all the best. And like Sam said, yeah. it's been over five years now since you arrived at Leeds in October 2015, which is mad because it definitely doesn't seem like five years ago to us. And just to start with Steve, when were you aware that Leeds wanted to bring you to the club? Because you became Leeds' head coach just hours after previous manager Uwe Rosler was sacked after just 12 games at the club. So were you approached when Rosler was at the club? No, I was, I was even approached before Uwe Rosler got the job. Um, but the um, at the time, um, Mr Chilino. Um, had a chat with me uh, through my agent, made it clear he wanted to bring me, but made it clear that at that stage he didn't want to be paying Rotherham United a lot of money. We just had some tremendous success at Rotherham. Um, so he didn't want it to be the case, and, and so for that couldn't happen. And, and obviously I was, for a, for a few weeks, disappointed because the opportunity to be head coach, or, you know, managing League United, I never thought my wildest dreams it would come, and you never think of Certainly, come again when um, he said he was going to go and pay that compensation, and he would he would move on to his alternative, and it and it turned out to be Uwe Rosler. And um, so, from that point of view, that's that that takes it back to the summer of prior to me going in. But no, the the first time I became aware of of Massimo being reinterested, if you like, was was on the evening. I'll remember it very vividly. Where Bobby Zamora scored for Brighton to um, Eleanor, I think, to win two one, a very very late goal. And I was I was watching a game actually at the Rico Arena, Coventry and Blackpool, no no worst game ever. <laughs> and I was in the traffic to to come out, and um, and the call come up from a from a mobile which I didn't know, and uh, I thought it was one of my mates uh, mimicking that it was Massimo with this Italian accent, and he wants to he wants to meet me in um, on Sunday evening. And uh, so I went off the phone saying, if, you, if this is really Massimo Torino, you'll call me from the Ellen Road switchboard. And uh, and the next thing about two minutes later, guys, the uh, a Leeds number come up. Of course, I didn't know the Leeds United number, but Switchboard come up, and a young lady said, "We've got Mister Chalino for you." And then it and it sunk in. There's me in the traffic coming out the Rico, and um, and Massimo just on the phone said he just had it had had a chat with uh, with Uwe. He would be leaving, and and could I meet him on the on the uh, Sunday? And that's what happened. Just on the topic of Massimo, we spoke to uh, previous head coach uh, David Hockaday as well, and he said when he met with Celino, it was quite like a secret encounter. If you know what I mean, it was very like private. Was that the same with you, or was it more of a, an open thing? I think it was open. I think anyone who had been around, I think there was a, a lot of League United supporters walking around the stadium. I arrived sort of mid to late afternoon on a Sunday, at, you know, to at the main reception at Ellen Road. Um, and the young lady let me in, and there was a few, I assume, League United supporters walking around, and a few uh, pictures and selfies on the statue, etc. And um, so it, it did. It was certainly not cloak and dagger. It was very open. We chatted for for three or four hours on football, and um, we had a break for an hour. And he asked me to go away. Then, considering that hour away from him, as to whether I would. Um, would be the head coach and you know listen guys I hadn't even got to the elevator and the answer was going to be yes but I had to go and call an hour and then it was and then it was uh, becoming known because I had I then had dinner with Mr Chilino and my sister Paul Rayner was asked to come and join us and, and we had dinner with Mr Chilino and out in Leeds so it was it was becoming 
a little bit known without it being in any of the press. And then, of, of course, I went in on the on the Monday morning. Like we said, Rosler was the manager previous to you, and he didn't last at Leeds for a very long time. And he wasn't the only head coach at Leeds that had a very short space of time before your arrival. So was that something that you were obviously you were aware of? But was it something that you had to take into consideration when you were going to accept the job because? It wasn't a rare occurrence for a head coach to be at least for a very short amount of time. No, I think every every head coach, every manager uh, believes in their own ability, and they believe they can be make a difference and make a make a more positive difference. Um, so obviously, you've got consideration as to the guys that went before you. Um, but the you know the one call I made was to Neil Redfern, who's a friend of mine in about four Redders, who said, "If they've offered you the job, you <laughs> you've got to, you've got to walk there." And I had the same opinion. So it was it was very easy to be back to National within the air and said, um, Mr. Chilean, I'm going to, I'm going to take the job and I'll never ever forget it. I was very privileged and honoured to be to be given the role and uh, and still have a lot of friends as you know behind the scenes and a lot of players that like say Stuart Dallas and, and others that and Liam Cooper that are or remain friends forever. And you were appointed the head coach on the 19th of October 2015, which was initially on a one-year rolling contract. But what can you remember about your first day at Thorpe Arch and meeting all the players for the first time? Yeah, I think it was very strange. I, I can remember I was I was on my way to Thorpe Arch and I got the I got the call from the club secretary just to say that with my permission, would it be okay if I was half an hour later because Uwe wanted the opportunity to to say goodbye to his players. And, and some of those players, quite rightfully, would have been there because of it. So it's, it's the least that could be honoured and respected from any head coach to another. So um, going through up and going through the doors into Thorpe Arch and in uh, an office and then and meeting the group was was moments that will cherish forever. You know, it's it's a fantastic facility, as everyone knows. Um, so it was a fantastic group of players, the best that I could manage um, in terms of ability wise. And then you, you start seeing the Peter Lorimers and the Eddie Grays up here and they're, they're just legends to me, guys, legends. I'm Scottish born and bred like those two and um, and they welcomed me, wrote my arms and told me, I'd reminded me, baby, that I deserved the opportunity with the success I'd had, particularly at Rotherham. And um, and therefore you, you get on with it, but it was a, a fantastic moment. Of course, you're appointed the Leeds United head coach as opposed to the Leeds manager, which has seemed to be the trend at Leeds ever since Chilino took over the club and something that Radrazan has implemented at the club. But in your opinion, what do you think the difference is between a head coach and a manager and which do you think suits you best? Well, I think I was a little bit different in the sense that when I was appointed head coach, there was no sporting director. There was uh, no chief executive, really. There was Paul Bell, who's still there now, and a friend of mine, I speak regularly to Belly, heading up the commercial side. And, and there was myself and there was Mr. Cholino. So, in effect, guys, the difference of a manager is a manager will pull all together and report into a chairman or a board or a chief executive is, and make the, the various proposals. Perhaps we, we um, um, in, in respect of being head coach rather than manager, then you concentrate on the players and everything else around you that you're giving. So, there's a clear difference. If you look at Marcello now, Mar- Marcello will be giving, um, he'll have a say, of course he'll have a say, but he'll be giving a proposal on, say it was a left-back, he'll have three or four left-backs, he'll set the criteria, he'll agree with Victor Orta, they'll agree together, the owner will be involved, and they'll go and go back with some options. And ultimately, I would assume it would be 
Marcello that would have the final say along with Victor. So that's how it would work now. Whereas in, in my time, anyone that we don't have any money at that time, as you know, but if we were going to be going to sign a player, the difference of a manager, you'd be doing all that yourself and then working it just between you and the owner and there wouldn't be a sporting director, but there, there is now and it is. And what a great job he does. Yeah, absolutely. When you were announced as head coach, Steve, you stated in your first press conference the following that all I can ask for is that the Leeds United supporters is to give me the benefit of the doubt and perhaps that I wouldn't be chosen manager for many Leeds United fans and I can understand why they may think that. But the only thing that matters to me is what happens on the grass. What made you think that you might not have been the fans' choice for the Leeds United manager job? Because previously you had, like you said, guided Rotherham, Crawley and Boston to promotions before you arrived at Leeds. Yeah, I think the only reason being is that you associate Leeds United with the Giants as a giant in football. So therefore you look over the years and, and when you do look at the managers that's been there, you're always wondering, coming up through non-league as a, as a manager, whether you're ever going to be good enough to, to go somewhere like Ellen Road. You know, I can remember back in my times um, at Boston, I was up for uh, Coach of the Year, and um, and my opposite number, David Dalier, was was up for Coach of the Year. And I can remember saying, I think he had um, he was in the semi-final of, of the European competition, and I'd just beat Dover Athletic. <laughs> and, and how can it be us two up and competing with each other? <laughs> but, um, it was, yeah, listen, it's, it's just, I just felt that it's it's such a massive club. Um, I was honoured to be there. And I understood if you're a, if you're a Leeds United fan, I, I think I'd be right in saying when, I think when Marcello got the job, not a lot of people, people in the game at higher levels knew of Marcello. I didn't know of Marcello. Not, not, and, I, 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 Marcello. Yeah, I didn't really know about my new where he was and, and um, where his career had been, but I didn't know a lot of the techniques and his styles, whereas the big boys did because they come up against them. And it's and it's fair to say that's the type of coach that would be associated with Leeds. So I was I was just honoured to be there. On the pitch, you also mentioned your first press conference at Leeds hadn't won at Ellen Road in the biggest part of seven months, and we're sitting just one point above the relegation zone after picking up just eleven points from the first eleven games, winning just twice. How did he plan to turn that around? Because at the start of the season, Leeds had invested quite heavily, you know, from previous years in the squad, bringing in Chris Wood, Saul Bamber, Stuart Dallas, to name a few. And like I said, something which Leeds haven't done in a fair few years and gave the fans some optimism about the season ahead. However, after that poor start to the season, the positivity was soon lost. The results weren't as expected. And how did you have to turn that around as a manager? No, I think you're right, Jack. I think I think sometimes you know I don't forget because as a as a head coach in, or manager, you live every minute of it. But I don't forget when I went into Leeds, we were a point, as you say, a point above the relegation zone. Performances described by the by the Leeds faithful as being very poor, and no cause for optimism. But I, I believe that there was good players there. I believe they had to be uh, probably coached in a slightly different way to how they were being, which is all about an opinion. And bring a real togetherness to the dressing room, and you know half the players were from overseas, half mostly Italian, as you as you know, uh, with the old Swiss boy and um, Berardi. But from that point of view, it was a bit bringing a harmony, bringing a togetherness, bringing a desire, and I, and I think we did that not as quickly as we'd like, but fairly quickly. And um, I, I think I've always been, I've always got on record, and I still maintain it that had we supported. The team with additions in the January window, um, I think we'd have made the playoffs. 
You're appointed head coach on the Monday, just 48 hours before your first game as Leeds United manager against Fulham on the Wednesday. How did you prepare for that match? And how did you know which starting eleven to pick? Because that's quite a short amount of time to decide. Yeah, well, don't, for, don't forget we've been in opposition to Leeds United, so we're well aware of clubs that's in a um, competition, if you like, in the Championship. Well aware because of the close, close proximity. I'd been to Ellen Road the previous season, probably four or five times, watching watching them live. So I had a real good idea with the playing squad. Uh, I can remember young Sam Byron get, get brought in from the cold. He was told he had no future and he wasn't going to play. And, and I always regarded Sam as a as a real top young talent. So he was going to come back. I remember he played it for them. So um, we shaped up the team. We picked it nice and early. We worked with the players on the Tuesday. We got down to Fulham. The boys gave us everything. It's a game we drew. We should have won. Um, but even the optimism on the coach come back from the likes of Saul Bamba, the, you know, the, the players in that group, young Lewis Cook, of course, who's, who's now at Bournemouth. But those type of players, when they took the opportunity in long journeys to have one-on-ones and chats to him, and they just felt in three days a bob them was taken off them and they'd enjoyed the, the performance and how they tried to play it for them. It was two up front, wasn't one up front, and, uh, and, and tried to be really positive. And, and that's a legionate away for me, try and play good fast forward football and attack well and defend. Yeah, and like you said about the match itself, because I went to the game and I can remember it quite clearly, actually, and especially when you and the side were walking out for the start of the game, because at Craven Cottage, the tunnel is right in the corner, isn't it? Right next to the home yeah. fans and right yeah. next to that weird neutral end. But because of Leeds' support, of course, the away end was all full and the neutral end was even quite full of Leeds fans as well. And as yeah. soon as you emerged from the tunnel with the Leeds squad, I remember the majority, if not all, of the Leeds fans all stood and giving you a good reception as you first came out. How did that feel for you as a head coach, especially given your comments in your first press conference about you might not have been the ideal candidate? Yeah, and they were from the heart, Sam, when I made those comments on the, on the first press conference. But I think you never know what reception you're going to get as a manager. Sometimes it could be, they could be fans could be delighted, they could be buzzing. Some could be a little bit subdued. You look at Jose when he went and he taught them they wanted they wanted to do handstands, would it? You know, so they could be a little bit subdued. They understand there might be a, a trophies coming, so the fans would support that. But that the out stepped out at Craven Cottage. You don't know what you're going to get, but. Uh, to a man, to a woman, to a boy, to a girl, they, they chanted my name and, and, uh, and, you know, many times later in, in that particular year, then I went to different fans' events, whether it be in pubs or the supporters' associations. And, uh, and they felt the first press conference was it was the first time in many, many years they'd had, they'd heard someone say, you know, I'm probably not worthy of taking this position, but I've been offered it and I'm going to give it everything I've got. And, um, and that probably got me the opportunity where the, where the supporters did give me the chance. And like you said, the game finished 1-1 with Chris Wood scoring a penalty in the second half. But how important did you feel that it was to start off life at Leeds, avoiding defeat and picking up at least a point, which was quite a good point as well because Fulham were one of the favourites for promotion that year? Yeah, Fulham had big investment into the group. Uh, they were flying. Um, I think actually when I took over, I can remember Martin Glover, who was the Head of recruitment at the time at Leeds United. Martin's now in a very senior position at Southampton, of course. But I can remember sitting in the office late on that first day on that Monday evening with Martin, and he said, You couldn't have picked a tougher one in Fulham. He'd watched them the previous week at Craven Cottage or 10 days before and thought they were outstanding. And he said, You couldn't have picked a tougher. But you were there, Sam. I genuinely think, particularly in the first half, we go behind, 
we're almost totally dominating and we should be perhaps the up at the interval. But second half, we showed a lot of character, we got the goal. And in that last five or ten minutes, I genuinely thought we'd get the winner because we had played six to the goal. But that just created, probably even for the supporters, some optimism as we left the stadium to say, well, you can lose games, you can draw games, but it's how you draw and how you lose games. You, you have to play in a, a certain style for supporters to understand what you've tried to do. And I think they left the stadium at, at Craven Cottage knowing what we were trying to do. And moving on from that Fulham game, the next match was an away game at Bolton, which was another one-all draw. However, the following week was your first home match as Leeds United head coach, a midweek game against Blackburn Rovers. What was it like? I remember. <laughs> yeah, we well, were terrifying before the game and terrified to the bit after about seven or eight minutes. I think we were, I think we were a bit 2-0 down in, say, five or six minutes. Is that right, guys? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, Blackburn, in fairness, they were a terrific side, weren't they? They, were, they had really good. But they, they, they score inside a couple of minutes and then they got a quick second one. And and you're thinking, wow, this is and and the only thing I'll say is is a huge credit to the Leeds fans because as disappointed they were and they're probably thinking, well, this guy's lost. Um, it was silence. It wasn't booing. It wasn't turning on the players. They weren't happy. We knew that. Um, but I think the fact that we came out in the second half and perhaps we should get back in the game, maybe be a goal and it creates a little bit of a grandstand finish. But I just think the fact that the players came out and fought and run and walked hard. Um, had a little appreciation despite the fact that you're two now down so early but the worst the worst imaginable home debut as a manager you could wish to have isn't it you know, two now down yeah. in minutes <laughs> yeah but following that Blackburn game Leeds did finally break that seven month winless run at Ellen Road and you had your first win as Leeds head coach in your third match in charge when you beat Cardiff 1-0 how good did it feel to have that win under your belt and what impact did you feel it would have on the rest of the season? Because before that game, Leeds were just three places above the relegation zone. Yeah, and it's something I addressed with the players. You know, when you looked at the quality of where we are, we shouldn't be in that position. But as we all know in football, Sam Jack, we you, you get what you deserve ultimately. And um, and ultimately, if you're not good enough, you're not going to win matches. But leading up to that game, I, I took real pride in, in how the goal came about because we spoke to young Lewis Kirk about having more strikes from further out the box and not always be seen to one go and give a one-two and do various things and I think if memory's right am I, am, am I right those guys he hit a screamer didn't he yeah hit one from yeah. that midweek game yeah we so yeah yeah just a great just a great goal um, but we've just been encouraging them to, to get forward more and more strikes at target and, and things like that and, but it was the performance overall you know, Cardiff come in good form. Um, the club had a win, as you say. Everyone around the club was, certainly in that game and even in the game before, was saying, let's get a win, let's get a win, because it's so long since we've sent the faithful home with three points. And, you know, seven, eight months is, is unimaginable for, for most clubs, never mind a, a club like the United. So I, I must admit, guys, when the final whistle went, it was it was just a feeling inside. It's phenomenal. First win. And and at home at Ellen Road and in front of a good crowd and after so long waiting to see one. So it was it was a brilliant feeling. And another win at Huddersfield had Leeds two wins in two. However, back to back losses against your former side Rotherham and QPR at Loftus Road had Leeds back in eighteenth in the championship. But from the start of December to the middle of January, Leeds' form changed completely and the side went seven matches unbeaten and picking up 13 points, including wins over Preston 
and Hull at Ellen Road and Wolves at Molyneux. So what changed in that spell? Because it seemed like it was a drastic improvement. Yeah, I, th- I think if you took when I went into when those results come, you're talking six, eight weeks, and it and it probably takes that as a minimum to to fill some of the work here of Paul Rayner and the staff, of other staff, of course, to um, to implement the ideas to get the players to carry it out. Um, but there's none of those one none of those wins that you've described there, Sam, in that period in December, mid January weren't deserved. You know, I think there was oh. circumstances that helped us. I think we. Um, from memory, particularly the one over, I think the one over Hull, we were 2 0 up at half time and could have been 5 up, and then they scored early in the second half and we're hanging on. And then I can remember we go to um, away to Molyneux, and I think we we're, I think we we're maybe 1 or 2 0 down, and we were playing injured. And I said, Why am I playing one up top here? We should have two up top to our play. And we changed it and we and we win that. And just whatever, I mean, fantastic following as always from, from Leeds. And, um, you know, to see the players celebrate with him. It was only three points, but it meant so much more given where the, the depth of the spare had been with the fans early season. And like I said, that spell went into the new year. And in January, of course, you had your first transfer window at Leeds. And during the month, you were quite vocal with the media about transfer activity at the club, which doesn't really happen at the club so much now. But just before we speak a bit on that, how did the transfers happen when you were at the club? Did you suggest players to Massimo about who you wanted to bring in or did he suggest people that he wanted to bring into the football club? How did it work? No, no, it, it, it would be the normal course. Like if there was uh, myself and Martin Glover were identifying players to come in, um, we had identified, uh, but the owner had made it clear there was not going to be any big signings in terms of money. So we were aware of that. Um, but what he did say it is he would support us in the loan market. And I, I can remember I had a, a couple of two or three players, maybe four players around the country on deadline day ready to come in. And I sat in the office with uh, Massimo and it was all to go ahead, all to be done. And we were briefing the secretary and out of nowhere he just changed his mind and said, I don't want to do it. And I, I can remember, um, I think it's Leeds United's best sponsor, um, Steve Parkin of Clipper Logistics, who owns that company. He's a good man, Leeds fanatic. And Steve come in like he used to do for coffee with Matimo and we had a chat, we're talking players and it even got to the stage where Steve Parker was offering to, to fund the wages of about four or five players coming in. But Massimo said it wasn't about the money, he didn't want that to happen, he, he wouldn't do it under those circumstances, so we didn't. And that was the only night I drove away from Ellen Road feeling down about being head coach at Leeds because I thought, you know, we've taken the club here, where uh, you'll be able to tell me, Sam, but probably by that deadline day towards the end of January, we were probably sitting in about 11th position, four or five points off the playoffs. And yeah. and, and these were good players and heavily subsidised by Premier League club that we were trying to bring in. And um, and had agreed to come and everyone was agreed with the club and it was secretary of the paperwork and everything was done. And then when Massimo stopped it, the one thing you have to do is respect his right to do that. He's the owner. He has to pay the bills so you respect it. But it doesn't mean you have to like it. So. Um, I drove away quite disappointed. I told him so in a, in a professional manner that all the work I've done there for like three weeks has been a waste of time just to, to change in a whim like this. Um, he said it's his decision and I have to accept it. And you do as a manager, head coach, you have to accept it. But I was, I was really disappointed because I felt if we did those changes then, I do, I do 100% think we'd have made the pass. And I think the people in Illinois, I think, the, the, you know, Saul Bamba's particularly close to Saul, as you have to be with your captain. 
I was sharing some of the uh, strategy with him and some of the names and and even when we didn't get them in, Saul called me that evening and said, Are we, we're not doing them. I said, no. He said, wow, they would have given us such a chance. And um, so there was that was the, the way it worked. You proposed the players. The, the, the chairman or the president would, would be, if he's happy with them, would, would sanction it. But he not for, not once did he ever uh, tell me to, to say any player or pick a player. Yeah. Um, one of the main things you were very vocal about, Steve, in January is Liam Bridcut, someone who had arrived on loan in November. However, it was due to return to Sunderland in January. And when he arrived at the club, he was arguably one of Leeds' best players. And probably no coincidence that when he arrived just before that seven match unbeaten streak. However, it seemed that when you were speaking to the media, there was a chance that Leeds would have been unable to keep him for the rest of the season, but it did eventually get completed, as we all know. Was there ever a chance that he could have departed that month? Yeah, there was. I, I, I think the um, I think Liam was one of the ones identified and I was able to uh, to persuade at that time uh, his football club, Sunderland, to um, to give us a, a good player and. Uh, Oh, you're still there, guys? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Oh, I'll be back, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, we had, to, um, we had to ask his parent club to to subsidise heavily his, his salary because we were asking, Massimo was only giving us an allocated amount, said, if you can do it for that, you can get him in. So because Liam had fallen at, fallen at the pitch on what he was, I was, being, I was able to persuade their manager to ask his board to approve it. So, And the agreement was that, Quite simply, that may change if he comes. He's a run of games. We may have much more interest in Liam, so therefore we may ask more for funding. So that was the hiccup in January where uh, Mr. Chilino said no to his parent club's request that if you're going to keep him, we want a, a bigger contribution towards his, his wages. So that was that was the discussions that was going. But but thankfully, I was able to uh, to persuade his club and uh, Liam to to continue at the same level. So we didn't pay any more. And Liam said he's 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 playing at Lincoln now. He's he's getting older now, but he's he's a wonderful player. He's a wonderful human being. He he brought real harmony to the dressing room. Brought real class. Um, and you can tell when you sign good players, guys, because they go into a dressing room, you know. And the good players that we had at Ellen Road, the Chris Woods, and people like they just welcomed the media because they they knew what they could bring. And we went on a good run when Liam was there. And as for the outgoings, whilst you're at Leeds, the team obviously had a number of extremely talented youngsters with Sam Byram, Charlie Taylor, Alex Mower and Lewis Cook all playing regularly, not to mention Ronaldo Vieira, who you brought in at the first team towards the end of the season. But in January, how confident were you of keeping all four of them players that month? Because it wasn't a secret that the four were attracting Premier League clubs. And I think you even said at one point that there was a total of about thirty million pounds worth of offers all submitted for them at one yeah. time in that one month. Yeah, and there was offers that even Calvin Phillips wasn't anywhere near the first team, but there was all Championship clubs trying to buy him. And um, but we there was there was good offers. There was three or four in for Lewis. There was there was two or three in for Alex Merritt. Sam Byron had had a number of clubs that simply had a choice between Everton and West Ham at one stage. Uh, both were both had agreed a similar deal. Um, and at that stage, you're, you're just hoping that you can keep the best of that young group because they, they nowadays at Leeds United they wouldn't be so because it's a it's a different club today with a different owner who's invested huge sums of money and who's got them to the Premier League by by keeping the best players. And if you're at if you're at Ellen Road, you you need the owners to keep the best players. It's if Leeds have a superstar now, they they need to rely on the owner keeping them and not selling them to one of the so-called big four or five with the big money. So 
Um, yeah, so I was very fortunate to inherit a lot of those old players, but also brave, as you say, we, when we um, brought other a couple of youngsters into the team who have gone on to really good things. But as a whole, how pleased were you with that January transfer window? Because like you said, the players that you wanted to come in didn't come in in the end, like the deadline day, like you said. But the club did keep three of three of the four them young players with only Sam Byram leaving for £3.5 million, which seemed a bargain to some of the fans as well. Yeah, well, it was a bargain. I, I, I think it was, for me, it was, um, I think we were going to sell them about a week before to Everton for a lot less than that. And um, I said to Mr Tilly that time, we'll sell them far too cheap here. You can't be selling Sam Byron for that money. And uh, and he said, we're going to bring me better offers then. So all I did was, was simply send a message to seven or eight managers in the Premier League and we had immediate response on West Ham who, who paid a lot of money for so a lot a lot more money, I think about five and a half million pounds or something. So um but I wasn't pleased with the window at all. We'd lost a good young player in Sam and and my agreement back for that was three or four loan only loan players, but three or four loan players, four loan players would be coming in um to the end of the season and a little bit funded by the transfer fee that we get for Sam. Um but also to strengthen and help the boys in the dressing room and it, I was I was really disappointed. It was it took me right up until deadline day, but then to be told we're we're not going to be bringing any in. It was I can remember speaking to Paul Bell and and saying I've just had the worst news ever and went away went away in my little apartment depressed. But um, we bounced in the next morning because you've still got good players, but I think the the players felt a little bit down as well and they felt a little bit down because they had I kept saying to them all the way through that spell in December if we have a good run here. The owner will help us strengthen the group, not particularly take your place, but we'll bring in three or four players. We don't need eight players arriving here. We've got very good players, and they bought into that. So I think they felt they felt like down as well. I know, I know I'm protecting the captain. And that brings an end to section one of episode twenty-two. Join us next week for section two, where Steve speaks about his final match as head coach at Leeds United at Preston, a match which he thought wasn't going to be his last at the club after meeting with president at the time, Massimo Cellino, just days before the match, where the Italian verbally agreed that he would extend his contract to the following year. Thanks for listening.